Hi everyone, today we are discussing a pairing of two books, Animal Farm by George Orwell and The Chocolate War by Robert Cormier. This podcast is intended for English teachers so that they have some idea of how to potentially pair these two together, these two books together in an English class. We're going to give you a brief summary of each book so you have a little bit of context and then each of us is going to ask a question concerning the antagonist of the books, the endings of each book, dystopian versus utopian books in general, and finally, how to teach these specific texts. But first, let's introduce ourselves so everyone knows what name goes to each voice. I'm Emily. I'm currently getting my teaching certification for secondary English. I'm Courtney. I'm a current English BSED major with a linguistics minor. I'm Nigel, and I'm an English writing undergrad with a journalism minor. And I'm Jeff. I'm an English and secondary education major. So before we get into the individual questions, we're going to give you a brief summary of each text. Um, for Animal Farm, as the name might suggest, this book follows a group of animals on a farm. It starts with Major, an old pig, describing his idea for a more perfect society on the farm. His plan includes overthrowing their human masters, sharing the work, and creating a set of rules that promote equality. Soon after, Major dies and the rest of the animals put his plan into action. At first, the society works well. The animals are happier and more productive than they were working for the humans. And two smart pigs, Napoleon and Snowball, gain prominent but unofficial positions and guide the rest of the farm. However, <clears throat> all other things must come to an end. Soon, Napoleon violently forces Snowball out of the farm and takes control. As the resident dictator, he controls the farm through manipulation and fear, changing history and the original set of rules in order to maintain his power. The other animals are forced to work in a worse and worse, condi worse, and worse conditions, and Napoleon even goes as far as selling a hard-working horse named Boxer to a glue maker when Boxer can't work anymore. Eventually, Instead of the animals overthrowing the pigs, they continue to work while their rights are stripped away. The, books end, the book ends with the pigs becoming indistinguishable from, indistinguishable from the greedy humans and the animals had originally overthrown, so not super uplifting. Moving on to The Chocolate War, this book is just as depressing. It follows Jerry, a freshman in New England all-boys school in about the 1960s. This school is significant because aside from the teachers and, and administrators, there's also a secret society of students called the Vigils who run the show from behind the scenes. They force students to perform cruel assignments, maintaining power and influence through intimidation and peer pressure. The protagonist, Jerry, is assigned with refusing to sell chocolates for a school fundraiser, hence the name of the book. Again, however, he was only supposed to refuse for about 10 days. Despite pressure from his rather abusive teachers, he does as the Vigils command, but he doesn't stop there. He keeps refusing to sell them, this time on his own terms. Archie, the student responsible for creating the assignments for the vigils, sees this as a slight and tries to bully Jerry into selling the chocolates through bullying and intimidation. Eventually, Archie devises a brutal fight between Jerry and a thug named Janza or Janza, however you prefer, <laughs> while the whole school eggs them on. The book ends with Jerry telling his friend to never fight the system since it's impossible to ever win. Again, not your average Disney ending. During our lesson plan, one of the themes we discussed were uh, communism and tyranny. I think both books have antagonists with similar principles. Uh, Napoleon and Archie are both like cruel rulers who can be described as uh, tyrannical. What connections do you think can be made between the two characters? How do they represent these themes? I totally agree. They were both pretty tyrannical. Um, I think it boils down to, for me at least, their levels of control. Um, Napoleon definitely had a really strong grip of control on the farm. He used violence with um, a pack of dogs that he basically indoctrinated since they were born um, in order to intimidate the rest of them. He also uses another pig called Squealer 
that's apparently really good at convincing people about things, and he uses him as kind of a pig to create propaganda for the farm to control the message of what's going on. And then he also really takes advantage of the fact that the other animals are described as being kind of inferior in terms of intelligence and, I guess, understanding and even at memory at times. They seem to forget what the rules were at the beginning. Um, and then for Archie in the Chocolate War, he seems to really rely on peer pressure because he seems to have the rest of the school kind of agree with him. They had all gone through it before, so they're on board with it. They're going to work with him. Um, and the power of tradition is really powerful in that. And then he uses those against freshmen who are coming in. They don't really have tradition. They don't have as many numbers as the other three grades in the high school. So they're kind of, they lack control where Archie has the most control. I definitely agree. And I think that they both heavily rely on manipulation to keep their power. Um, they both seem to spin their leadership into something that's for the greater good when us as readers can tell that, you know, mm -hmm. it's not. Um, Napoleon always tells animals that they need things to be this way or else they would revert back to when humans were in power, like with those Ten Commandments and they keep changing, but, you know, the animals just keep believing him. Um, but he's like, this is how it needs to be or else it's going to go back to how the humans ran it. And then with Archie, um, like Emily said, it's that goes back to the whole tradition thing where it's like a rite of passage and it's like a necessary tradition. I'm sure, you know, like all the students know about it, even though it's something that's kind of kept on the down, down low, but everyone knows. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, that's seen as just almost a positive thing because everyone has done it. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I thought like the connection I made most with, with the two books was the antagonist use of like fear um, like the dogs that came out of nowhere, by the way. I mean, out of nowhere in the book, it's like dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and then peer pressure, which in that time, in that high school, like peer pressure is probably the worst form of fear you could give to a freshman. So I totally agree with both of you. All right, so I have a question for you guys. Um, it's obvious that neither of these books have happy endings whatsoever. Spoiler alert. In fact, they're rather pessimistic, and the good guy never actually wins. Poor Jerry doesn't even get the girl. So why do we think that this is so? It is evident that the theme of each largely is self-advocacy, I mean, I think. So why don't our protagonists prevail? I think both authors wanted to give a, a realistic view of how authoritarianism works in a society revolting against oppressive power structures is something that something that is like difficult in real life and you do the good guy always doesn't always win so i think that uh orwell and cormier from their respective books they wanted to kind of give a reflection of how that turns out and how like the downsides of it mm -hmm. good point no, i totally agree um it does seem a little bit realistic i guess that's kind of the argument of pessimists that they're like no i'm just realist i don't mm -hmm. know but um in the chocolate Stop it. war, I'm a realist. <laughs> in the chocolate war, Jerry actually does advocate for himself for a while, and you get like a little bit of a glimpse of how it could be a happy ending, and then the author just crushes it, and you're really like, I don't know, depressed for him. But um, and then in the animal farm, there's also a little bit of a glimpse of a better society, and then that gets crushed as well. But I think it just goes to show, yeah, a more realistic view of how it difficult it actually is to usurp someone with so much control or some society with so much control. Um, and then in Animal Farm especially, the people who seem to be able to change it, and I guess for the Chocolate War too, they're the people that are benefiting from that situation, so they're not going to want to change it. Um, 
So I guess that's why the books ended so badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with like the realistic aspect of it. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm hard pressed to find out why the chocolate war ended the way it did. Mm-hmm. But the animal farm thing, it's like it could. It's that whole like picture of Russia from a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, maybe. But that's why I've read. <laughs> I think it's so, pretty strong evidence. Yeah. For that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know why you, people write things like they do. I mean, it's t- it was totally unsatisfying. I mean, there's a reason for some of it, but it was more unsatisfying than The Sopranos, which, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> as great as that show is, it's the most unsatisfying ending. You spend seven seasons watching it, and you die, pretty much. <laughs> he doesn't die, but you die at the end because it was so unsatisfying. <laughs> All, right. all right, so we can all agree that both books have super pessimistic endings, but so my question is, whether you guys prefer this more pessimistic viewpoint for a society in order to warn us about what not to do or whether you prefer a more utopian perspective that kind of gives us something to strive more in order to be um, a better society. Which do you think is, I guess, more effective? Uh, For these two stories, I prefer the negative. Um, The way the fear is used, it's like a horror movie. Like, no horror movie ever really ends happily, even Mm -hmm. if the thing dies at the end. But I would, like, in regular life, I'm, like, a sucker for a good ending. <laughs> but for these two, it would almost seem ridiculous to have a happy ending. It'd be almost like, all right, really, bro, like, <laughs> get over yourself. Like, this, you can't end like that. A little too so, fake or something. Yeah, it would just would seem like, like, you wasted, you beat me up this whole book. Like, mm-hmm. don't fake me. Like, don't patronize <laughs> me at the end of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't want to um, kind of sugarcoat the ending for the book. But just, uh, <clears throat> I think a better way, like, a, I think something you could take from, take from it would not be, to, like, to sugarcoat the ending, but just to rather spark a conversation of how that, how would you navigate through that, mm-hmm. those hardships in yeah. the book. Like, in I think, way. like, the negative ending does spark more of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, there's more to be said about it. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, personally, I consider myself to be a realist. Thank you, Emily, not a pessimist. (laughs) Uh, Whatever. But I would rather have the cold, hard truth of life and learn to navigate it in a productive way rather than, you know, someone just kind of lying to me. Um, So although these books are kind of negative and imperfect, that's life. Um, And that's just kind of how it is. And I think for this age group, that's almost important. You know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows for your whole life. Like, whatever. But... God, I do sound like pessimist. (laughs) But I think the pessimism is almost the essence of these books. Like, without it, the lessons learned from it would be altered entirely. Staying on theme here with uh, how the books end, with both books being kind of frustrating as far as how everything works out, what does everyone think uh, the most effective way to teach these books would be to your students without actually, like, harping on how unsatisfying they are? So I think earlier, um, I, I might have said something like uh, the endings kind of spark a conversation. And I think the grade level of students who are like reading these books will be at the age where you start to form your own opinion on society and your own worldview. So I think teaching a book like this would help them kind of see that, okay, how, how, when I get to these points, how do I face these obstacles? How, how do I get through this as an, as an adult, as a young adult? I think it's important that having an open discussion and seeing how they feel about, like, how these books ended or just a, the book in general, their thoughts on it would be important for uh, for, for, the, for the class. Yeah, I definitely 
definitely agree. And, you know, going off of that, they're forming their own views on the world and their own opinions. And there's a lot of self-actualization there and them, you know, becoming who they want to be at that age, I would say, like, you know, like ninth, 10th, even eighth grade, maybe. Um, so like, I think with that age group that these books are definitely necessary evil. I mean, there's unfortunately a ton of bullying that we see in school systems. And um, I think it's something that we can utilize as a teaching moment, um, specifically in A Chocolate War. Um, but due to that bullying, I just wonder, um, does this warrant a trigger warning? Some students have been put through, you know, maybe a similar situation or, you know, brings up some bad memories and that could be um, really uncomfortable and even harming to them. So I would suggest maybe just a trigger warning. I don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that it could be necessary. No, I see where you're coming from, especially like you said, the chocolate war. It gets really violent at times and really descriptive of the violence. I think I don't remember exactly, but the first line of the war is like I died. The first line of the book is something like I died, and that's only just describing a football game, not even some of the actual fights that are occurring. Right. In the book. Yeah. Um. So I think you do have to be a little cautious because it is around ninth grade. I guess that we talk about discussing these books. Um, they are a little bit young, but like everyone's been saying, this is when you kind of start to form your beliefs about the world and you can't really coddle them. As much as you want to protect them, you can't necessarily avoid the fact that this happens. Um, and I think because these books are so affecting with their violence and discussion of violence, um, I think this might lead to more impassioned debate. Like Nigel said, there's a lot more to talk about and there's a lot more to relate to with these kind of visceral reactions that come from reading these types of books. So I think that there's an opportunity to capitalize on that. Okay, so I guess we're gonna wrap up this podcast um, on maybe a little bit more of an optimistic note and just talk about uh, our personal opinions of the books. Who wants to go first? I think you do. (laughs) No, go ahead. Uh, So they were like both really easy reads and I think um, the stories were quite engaging. Just like the endings, if you you felt like kind of you didn't. You got like a short end by the endings. I mean, that's fine. But I think they're quick, easy, and they would be easy to teach too because they're so fast. Mm-hmm. The students would be like, it's not really hard. I mean, yeah. I think all together, like solid books. Yeah. No, I agree. Definitely a quick read. Um, it's they're both kind of written pretty simply, but with a lot of meaning underneath all of them. So it would be easy to teach to unpack that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but reading it was fairly enjoyable, even given the pessimistic endings. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Realistic, pessimistic, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd give it like I'd give him like a sixty-eight out of seventy-five. All right. On my seventy-five scale. All right. Seventy-five point scale. Yeah, everything's out of (laughs) seventy-five. Yeah, they were short, and I think like you know one way to teach like for the non-readers a nice short, easy read. Mm -hmm. You know, kids that don't love English. I mean, that's the way to go. Doesn't everyone love English? Come on. Yeah, (laughs) but they were good enough. They were good, and they had something to offer. All jokes aside, they had something to offer to like a classroom setting, no matter how bad the endings were, how much I would have liked to see a happy ending. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think these books are definitely. I mean, not my personal taste for recreational reading, but in the classroom, I think these are super useful. As you guys all said, you know, pretty simple pretty simple reads and um I think there's a ton of like themes and a lot of things to work with and a bunch of different units that these can be um incorporated into so 
Thanks for Thanks tuning for in. <laughs>